So for anyone that can listen to your podcast and get one message is believe in the data and in the business case of Latinos. Latinos mean pro for America. Hispanic progress is American progress and Hispanics are stars. Nothing else but stars. We just have a huge cloud in front of us that I invite everyone to join forces to remove it. A strategic advisory firm helping CEOs and C-suites achieve maximum value? This is Word on the C-Street, a show where influential leaders reflect on the value of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and share their perspectives on the defining challenges and opportunities of our time. Hi, I'm John Hennis, founder and CEO of C-Street Advisory Group. Welcome to Word on the C-Street. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with diplomat and social entrepreneur, Claudia Romo Edelman. You'll hear Claudia explain why Hispanic progress is American progress, her belief in society's ability to move from tolerance to acceptance, and the data behind her optimism for the future. Claudia, thank you so much for coming today. I want to jump right in. You started an incredible foundation. We are all human. And it's dedicated to advancing the agenda of quality, diversity, and inclusion. What do those words mean to you? It means that we just have to recognize that the world is already pretty diverse. We just have to make it more inclusive so that all of us can bring the best version of ourselves to everything we do. It means that we don't forget the fundamental, that we are all human that we belong to the same human family, that what happens to a one affects the other. Because at the end of the day, even if we don't look alike, we actually hurt the same way. The pandemic was an incredible example of how there's no distinction in humanity when, you know, when something like a pandemic happens or an earthquake. Obviously, we do not navigate it the same way, but pretty much I think that what it means to me is that everyone has an equal chance and every one of us has to realize how much we are part of the same human family and that we are all human. I love that. Talk to me a little bit about why you set up the organization, how it got started and what you do. The world human was a result of pretty much observing data. And, uh, and I was looking at data and I was blessed to be sitting on the 37th floor of the United Nations in the executive office of the secretary general. So pretty much like a bird perspective and saw that the world was making progress. It was really positive in every single aspect that you see it, whether you see it through, you know, like the level of access that we have to education or electricity or voting or water. I saw the data. We were making progress overall. And it might not have been as fast as we want, but the trajectory, you know, like an early born baby that is in an incubator and, you know, like you want this baby to be grown, but the trajectory is the proper one, except that there were a couple of red flags too and could represent a risk to that line of progress. One of them was climate change and the other one was the increasing rise in divisiveness and and that could lead to racism, discrimination, hate. And when you let a feeling like the otherness to really grow disproportionately without putting some sense of stop, you really could see that you would end up having populism. 
Brexit, uh, George Floyd, and yeah. because people just like think that the others do not have the same rights to access to the same things that we all have access to, like education or health or progress. So I, I set up this foundation with the support of the United Nations at that time, just to remind all of us of that simple principle by creating content that was elevating the voices of the champions that are making a difference because there's a great deal of beauty out there. There's a great deal of champions that believe in humanity. And we just wanted to start creating content podcasts uh, to highlight those and, and mark under the framework of the sustainable development goals, which is something that I, I worked on and I was responsible for communicating and advocating uh, uh, in the executive office of the Secretary General. So pretty much the origins of World Human was a crying call to react to the incredible rise of divisiveness, racism and discrimination, and to stop it. How the world, you can kick it into shape, you can put it into shape. How 20 years ago, you and I probably saw a world where it was amazing to smoke and the Marlboro guy was super hot and, you know, my mom wanted to do perfect smoke rounds and, you know, like it was aspirational and in within 20 years, we as society, we have transformed legislation where it's forbidden to smoke in planes or things like that. Like, can you imagine? Uh, where it's socially unacceptable and where it's um, individually, you know, like a guilt issue. Why wouldn't we be able to do that with racism, xenophobia and discrimination? Why wouldn't we be able to move the world from tolerance to acceptance? So that's what we all humans aim to do. And we will not stop until the job's done. Luckily, there's a lot of progress that has been made in the last five years. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And we do, we live in this, uh, the world is so divisive and getting more, but something that you said that I just think is so important is we have so much more in common than we do that's different, all of us. And truthfully, the differences are things that should be celebrated. I want to jump to the Hispanic Leadership Summit, which brings together organizations, community leaders, allies, and businesses with the goal of creating a unified Hispanic agenda. What does a unified Hispanic agenda look like? And what have you learned from these summits about how it can become a reality? I believe in the power of uh, collective action. And when I started working in the, I started understanding the Latino agenda, you have to realize I'm new to America. I moved you know, like after 25 years in Europe, I moved to America seven years ago, and that was the first time that I ever heard that I was a Hispanic. I lived my entire life as a happy Mexican, and I've never heard that term before. And I was like, Hispanic? What is that? And what, what I very quickly realized is that um, there was there, there was a there was an enigma thing for me because I look at the paper and, and Latinos in paper are powerful, but in reality, we're weak and we're big. But people think and see us as small. And there's an incredible gap between perception and representation. And the reality doesn't match the numbers. So there's there's a gap. And so digging into that, I realized the way that many other communities I've seen in many other, you know, like different settings, whether it's Africa or, you know, terrorism and so on, um, the commonality of individual having incredible individual efforts but all of a sudden transforming them into collective action that is what generates systemic change so as long as you have many people doing their own little thing which is great 
and everyone is doing great things. But if you don't put them under their, under collective action, it's going to be very hard to really break through and create systemic change. So one of our attempts to make sure that we elevate that individual action into bringing collective uh, platforms um, has been by bringing people together on at the United Nations for the Hispanic Leadership Summit and bringing people to understand and discuss and realize that we cannot do it all. We should align in the one or two priorities that all of us are going to push forward, um, that all of us are dear and said, yes, we have so many examples uh, from, you know, we brought the Vice Prime Minister of um, Ireland last year to talk to us about like how the difference between Greece and Ireland in actually stepping forward and moving faster and coming out of the recession 10 years faster than Greece is because they were not discussing the reasons why they went into default. They just ag agreed on an agenda, which was jobs. We're going to save Ireland through jobs. And so everybody, whether you were a teacher, you were a businessman, you were this, you were that, everybody was on the agenda of job creation, job training, job generation, investment for jobs and so on. And I think that that's an example that we can see even with other other communities. So what is the Latino agenda and how do we all agree on the one or two things that we can all push has been the input of the Hispanic Leadership Summit. We started the first year 2018 with a why, why unite, why does it matter? Then we moved into the what. So what, what is our agenda? How, what do we want to push for? 2020 came with COVID and shook us up. So I think that there was a lot of COVID related action, um, you know, like crisis response, which I think we did incredibly well. And that was a pride of, you know, like if we act together, we can do anything we want. And so we are moving towards validation of that agenda and moving very, very quickly into the how and the who. What are the uh, priorities of the agenda? So pretty much all Latinos have one thing in common, um, regardless of whether you're Mexican, Colombian, Venezuelan, first, second, third generation, it doesn't really matter. What really unites us is our desire to progress. And that progress uh, means that we uh, have an agenda of upward mobility, social mobility, where uh, absolutely every single piece that we have to break through is, is combined by that agenda of progress. So I would say if you ask me what is the agenda of Latinos, is the agenda of progress, and it comes in the form of giving us better education, better training, better promotion, but like at every level, every single level, because we want to progress and for that we need to be equipped. The number two is better jobs, better pay, um, more capital, more access to uh, entrepreneurs, to financial literacy for financial inclusion and overall. Number three is better gender. Our Latina agenda has to be a priority and we have to understand that Latinas are the minority within the minority and the gap between the gap. Latinas have the highest pay gap. We have the highest representation gap and the highest perception gap. Mm -hmm. So putting Latinas forward and including, you know, like including them in those two is going to be essential for the future of our community and last, like better health, not only Latinos has been hit the hardest and disproportionately affected by COVID, but we come with the highest degrees of diabetes, obesity, uh, chronic diseases. We need more healthcare workers. We need more nurses. We need more healthcare owners. We need more, uh, we need better health. So if you put it together, it's a simple one, better education, better jobs, better gender, better health so that we can continue progressing, so that we can continue racing in our upper mobility.
And that goes right into something I wanted to talk to you about um, with your work with Hispanic Promise. And Hispanic Promise is focused on getting businesses to commit to hiring, promoting, retaining, and celebrating Hispanics in the workplace. What do you think the business community is missing about the Hispanic community um, that made you launch this pledge? I mean, let's be clear. Hispanic progress is American progress. And there's absolutely no way that any company can sell, hire, any politician can win any election without Latinos. That's it. We're 60 million people today, 19% of the population today, 30% of the population by 2050. Hello, hello, hola. Hello, hello, hola. I mean, like, let's make it clear. If you're going to try to sell your product, this is a hello, hello, hola. And I want to see that commitment, the 30% of your business, of your employees, of your advertisement should be Latino. I want to see one in every three Americans, you know, like in television being Latinos. And that is actually what made me realize, like, wait a second. So how is it that 76% of Latinos cannot be themselves at their workplace if we're 19% of, of the population? And 40% of the workforce growth. So I started looking, I found that there were a number of pledges, like there are thousands of pledges. There was no pledge for Latinos. And that was a shock for me. I was like, what do you mean? How do you make companies commit to something? Pledges are pledges, but nevertheless, like we have to have something. We don't bark and we don't bite. We we work, and and we want to have a framework of positive, proactive interaction with corporate America that allows us to be ourselves. We're never gonna come and you know demonstrate in the street. That's not us. I'm like we're we're probably going to work harder. And what we need is just like to end or make the business case and provide a framework for corporate America to realize that we mean business, that they have to prioritize Latinos in part of their business uh, action. So we went with uh, Sid Wilson, um, the head of the Hispanic Association of Corporate Responsibility, ACER. Um, we went to the World Economic Forum to launch the first ever Latino corporate pledge, the first of a kind for corporations to make us a promise, a promise to hire promote, retain, and celebrate us in the workplace so that we can be ourselves, so that they can win, so that they can hire, so that they can also have, you know, like a tool to show leg and say like, here, hi, in this organization, we love Latinos, come work with us. So we have in less than three years, which we're going to be celebrating in Davos this year, we have more than 29 Latin organizations that are backing up this corporate pledge, and we have more than 270 companies that have signed this pledge, one more big after the other. We will get to the 5,000 companies, and in the meantime, we're adding the muscle, we're adding the teeth, we're sitting with corporate America and with Latino leaders to say like, okay, how do we measure this? How do we make sure that we understand what progress means? What are the best practices? What does it mean to be a Hispanic friendly organization? What is our point of view about what really matters? Because we know that it's not everything is not possible, but that also there's no framework to measure diversity and inclusion. And so we, through the Hispanic Promise 2.0, we want to be a role model, a plug and play uh, for globally for diversity and inclusion so that um, other communities can follow the model and use it. So, so I have to ask, so you are um, such a leader. Where did this all come from? Talk to me a little bit about how you grew up, where you're from. I was the middle 
kid of three that my parents um, had. My parents met playing basketball. My mother was a professional basketball player. Uh, she was in the national team of uh, basketball in Mexico. And so when um, when they started having kids, uh, uh, two of them died that as a result of a very rare and very unfortunate genetic incompatibility and they died when they were 18 months old um, and their pattern was exactly the same nine months up so from you know like i don't know from crawling to walking walking to running and, and you know babbling to speaking and so on until they hit the nine month um, milestone and then backwards so from running to walking walking to crawling and then sitting down until they passed and i think that created you know like a sense i think that in everyone around me that i i probably would have the same, um, you know, the same trajectory because I developed over, like I overdeveloped, right? I was like speaking much younger than I should, or I was running much younger and so on, like my siblings did. So I, I grew up under a microscope and pretty much, you know, like every milestone I grew, I conquered like one year old or two year old or something. I remember people like looking at me saying like, she's making it, like she's She's strong, man. She's strong. And I remember actually my nanny when I was, um, my nanny was my grandmother. Um, my grandmother telling me at some point when I was like six or something like that, she said like, you're strong. You're, you're probably stronger than death. And so I grew up with a sense of strength, but also that everything was possible. You see, like when you're a kid and everybody congratulates you like crazy because you survive and you're so strong, you think everything is possible. So I grew up believing that everything is possible. So for me, it was like a natural thing to come into these global challenges and and have discussions with everyone, say like malaria, malaria, can, we can do that. Let's talk about like the mosquitoes and how do we do wet nets and let's do it. We, everything's possible. We can do it. And the reality, Luke, is that everything is possible because I've seen change myself, you know, like working in, uh, in areas where we're so devastating like AIDS and all of a sudden having no more babies that are, you know, we have right now prevented mother to child transmission. We don't have any more babies that are going to be born with AIDS. We have reduced AIDS by, you know, like by so much percentage. And that was the panic and the global pandemic for decades. I've seen, you know, like malaria being reduced dramatically. I've seen cure for tuberculosis, even if the virus is faster. I've seen it. So when you tell me like, are, is, is it possible to unify Latinos and to change our perception? I'm like, hell yes been there done that right like having done much bigger things and i think that that is where when i look at my daughter and daughter in in the eyes and i have to do this for you you know like in a way because i just don't want there's so many people that have done so much work for all all of us latinos to be so strong and so ready as we are we're just that transition generation our job is simple it's just to get the job done the hard work is done is to get Latinos to be where they are. We just have to embrace the little bruises that come um, with finishing the job, with being the transition generation that is just gonna break through the wall. So it's not a hard one, we just have to do it. Well, I, I, I'm confident you're gonna do it. You come from this truly global perspective. Talk about your experience with the UN, experience internationally, how you bring that to bear now. I grew up and they called me Mafalda all the time because I was like, since a kid, I was like, peace and justice, you know, like I, I was like that, like my entire life. So it was a natural thing to, to like land at the UN. And it was, um, it wasn't pretty much, it was like an accident. I moved to Europe where 
I spent 25 years of my life and I never come back. And I need, I didn't even know that I was going to stay there for that long. So I was a diplomat for the Mexican government, um, representing Mexico in, in Switzerland and then in London again by chance. And then, you know, like I was always a press correspondent and I cared a lot about like reporting back and I did radio and agency and magazines. I Proceso, Jornada, eh, Monitor, Radio Monitor with Guterres Vivo. So I loved actually that internationality. And um, I did a master's in um, at the London School of Economics on global you know, like political science. And I started doing my thesis about like anti-globalization. And I said like, this is like, again, you know, like looking at the data, like, ah, this is going to be bad. And, and globalization is going to be such an entity that has no domicile in the world. So it's going to land on people, like someone is going to personify globalization, whether they like it or not. Uh, and it's going to land in institutions like the World Economic Forum or the World Bank or the IMF. So I sent my thesis to all these guys, uh, you know, like to the institutions. And I was like, you know, like, I think that you might want to start considering that there might be something like a, a, a global anger um, that you might have to deal with. And so the only person I knew, because I, I've been going to the World Economic Forum in Davos a number of years, Klaus Schwab called me and said, like, oh, I thought we were friends. And I was like... <laughs> He was upset. And then th three or five months after when the first stone hit Seattle and uh, and yeah. then the, the, the globalization movement started really strong, they called me to see whether I could fix it. And so um, I went to work part, you know, like like for part time uh, for the World Economic Forum that transformed itself in 10 years. And then from there, after having, you know, like run public relations and so on for the World Economic Forum, just like trying to bring a lot of the outside world. I was the activist within the World Economic Forum. You can only imagine that I was the same person, but just within in a big organization. After 10 years, they called me from the UN Refugee Agency because I manage celebrities as well for the World Economic Forum. And Angelina Jolie said to me, like, you know, like what you do here for the World Economic Forum is awesome. You could actually make a difference for millions of people. So if you come with me for one trip somewhere in Africa, and if you don't like it, go back to your your World Economic Forum life. And then I just like jumped straight into it, looking at, you know, like like the life of refugees. And that's how my UN life started. The UN Refugee Agency, um, I went from there to work for the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis and malaria, where we launched Product Red, um, which is something very similar that inspired Hispanic Star and Hispanic Star Fund and a lot of the things that we're doing. Um, Product Red has resolved right now after 12 years in uh, more than $700 million to help um, the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis and malaria. That's how I have my eye on the Hispanic star for Latinos. And, um, you know, like from there, I started m being moved around. I, I do what I do and I do it everywhere. So I became a little bit like the furniture and the decoration of like one agency or like they move me from one room to the other, depending on what was the need. And I am a master plan creator. I do I do mobilization frameworks and platform and then just like mobilize people to do it from after I work for the UN then the Secretary General's office, migration office, and you name it. And then all of that, it honestly, just like culminated in me um, creating World Human. I think that World Human uh, was the result of 25 years of experience of, of mobilizing um, global um, global agendas and successfully actually generating change. As we've been speaking and I think about it, 
you know, you've said a number of things. One, you focus on the data where I feel the passion coming through the conversation, but it's, it starts with the data and then the way you you bring people together. When I listen to everything you say, it really is a, a lesson in leadership. But just like one thing, I think you're right. And that we all should be more data. Until now, I've been dealing with negative data. I've been dealing with campaigns where you have like the current against you and you're like, doesn't matter, let's go and against the current and just like swim as hard as you can, trying to bring people together when, when you know the current is much stronger than you and that you're against it. This is the first time we're surfing. It's like, shh, take a ride. And like the data is like, it's just a bath of optimism. So for anyone that can listen to your podcast and get one message is believe in the data and in the business case of Latinos. Latinos mean pro for America. Hispanic progress is American progress and Hispanics are stars. Nothing else but stars. We just have a huge cloud in front of us that I invite everyone to join forces to remove it because we've been shining all along and this country would never be where it is without us. So just feel Latino unity and Latino pride based on the data. Please have a tequila on me, re revise the census. Just like so everybody feels like, holy cow, we had a distorted mirror all this time. We just have to correct it and see how powerful we are. So drink the Kool-Aid. We are powerful. We're beautiful. And it's the data that tells, says it. And it's so clear. Sir. All right. So Claudia, before I let you go, we have three quick questions. So the first one, tell me about something that's been on your mind lately. This can be a book, a movie, an idea, a quote, anything that you're hooked on. I would love to have a show talking about like the stories of, in my country. There was Silvia Pinal, Mujer Caos de la Vida Real, but that was sad. People are blown away by our stories, our resilience. You know, like I just can't believe how much interest and how much genuine passion there is once, you know, like allies can hear our stories. And I would love to have, you know, like the opportunity to have a major mainstream, massive platform to make sure that everyone in the country starts actually busting those myths and misconceptions that they have about us and start looking at us as what we are. Okay, second question. Give us a, a hot take. What's something you believe that a lot of people would disagree with? Um, I just don't think that government is going to be um, relevant for our growth in the future in the next 10 years. But not positive, not negative. It's just like I think that we have as allies other players like media, corporations, uh, and sports and so on. So I understand that, you know, like it is important for many people. I just... I just don't. I think that is like more distracting than than not. I like if you give me ten dollars, I would put nine point ninety nine in corporate America. And then last, who's someone you'd love to hear as a guest on Word on the C Street? I would love to hear more from Jessica Alba all the time, every time. She's uh, I think that she's just incredible. I don't necessarily think that the community has realized that she's such a badass billionaire, family member, um, Latina proposer. Um, I think that we're, we're at the beginning of discovering how much of a role model she can be for us. And uh, I cannot wait. I'm pushing for her to come with us to uh, the World Economic Forum in Davos uh, because I just want all the power and all the decision makers of the world to realize that's the face of a Latina. That's who we are. 
We're incredibly smart, pretty family-oriented, successful in our business, charitable, giving, and their future growth. Amazing. Claudia, thank you so much for being on Word on the Sea Street. Thanks for listening to Word on the Sea Street. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with friends. You can reach us at info at thecstreet.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thecstreet underscore NYC.